Greetings and a warm welcome to Nightlight. With me once again is Simon Bennett, author of the Let's Look Forwards trilogy, which are some of the best expositions that I've ever read on last day's scripture. Welcome back to Nightlight. Simon, where are you speaking to us from? I'm two and a half hours outside of Joburg in South Africa. Nightlight's interview of the week. Simon, in your first book, Let's Look Forwards, you talk about the church being largely content to look backwards at the gospel, but has little appetite to look forwards to its fulfillment. Could you elaborate on what you mean? Well, yes. I think when I I started to have a desire to teach and dig into the last day scripture, I realized that the one event that is similar to the second coming is the first coming. Similarly, many, many prophecies long predicted, and it's the one event that's similar. And when we look back at the first coming, we realize that the religious uh, Pharisees and teachers, they loved the law. You know, Moses had given them the law. It was what set them apart from the rest of the world. And they loved the law, but they loved it so much that they were very unprepared for the fulfillment of the law, which was the coming of Jesus. Very true. And I just felt it was a very similar pattern today where we we love the gospel. It is such a blessing to anybody who believes and receives it. But of course, the gospel isn't the end of the story. The end of the story is the fulfillment of the gospel. Yes. And I felt that very much uh, where I was in the UK and here, that churches are so happy to look at the gospel, but they ignore its fulfillment. And uh, the poor Pharisees stumbled over Jesus when he arrived. They couldn't recognize him. The word of God says they stumbled over him. He was the cornerstone, but they stumbled over him. And I feel churches are rather stumbling today because the churches today are not engaging with last day scripture. They're reluctant to engage with it. And therefore, they're similarly not prepared for events that are coming in the world. Right. Not completely. Many people are engaging, but many of the institutional churches are doing not as much as they, they need to do, I believe. So for those listening who do want to engage with Bible prophecy, they see things happening in the world right now that seem to indicate that we may be coming very close to the second coming of Jesus. For those who are new to last day's scripture, where should they start? I mean, there's 18 books of prophecy in the Old Testament, as well as many prophecies in the Psalms, the Gospels, the letters of Paul, as well as Revelation. Where would be the best place for them to begin? Well, I think this is really, really important. It's such an important point. I like what a a chap called Derek Prince said. He was an uh, English Bible teacher. And he said that it's rather like the work of a paleontologist. We've got bones all over the Bible, and we need to try to put them together into a sensible order, which is fitting for the body of prophetic scripture. And he said, it's like putting together a skeleton. And when you put together a skeleton, he said, you need to start with the spine. Good point. If you get the spine in the right place, then you're able to join other pieces onto it properly, and you don't end up with some some crazy construction. And he said that he believed the spine was Matthew 24 and 25, which is a 97-verse passage where Jesus is explaining to the disciples about his return. And I really like that. I also like what John G. Lake said. He said that though all of Scripture has authority, he said that the, the words of Jesus have supreme authority, rather like if in every court in America has authority, district courts, but there's a supreme court 
which is what you turn to when there's a really difficult decision to make. And so I like to see that as well. The words of Jesus are like the supreme court of Scripture with the supreme authority. And we turn to those first. So those two pictures, I think, help me to believe that we've got to lay our foundation in the words of Jesus. It actually says that we can't lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And I believe that's true for the last day's scripture as well. Yes, that's a very good point, And one that I never thought of, actually, that Jesus, besides everything else that he was, was also a prophet. And his prophecies are the ones that we should pay closest attention to. Yes, he, and he does say in Matthew 24, 35, he says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words, these words, shall not pass away. So he kind of emphasizing to his disciples, this is important, and you can trust implicitly in what I'm saying. Nightlight, keeping you in tune with the times. Well, okay, then let's take a look at the prophecies of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. The first two verses, Simon, I often use an example of the amazing accuracy of Bible prophecy. It says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And that prophecy was fulfilled precisely in 70 AD when the Roman army under General Titus ransacked Jerusalem, set fire to the temple, which melted the inlaid gold, which ran down between the stones of the temple. And the Romans literally took the stones apart to get the melted gold. Such an amazing example of fulfilled prophecy. And then in verse 3, the disciples asked Jesus, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what should be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceives you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. So, the first sign Jesus says to watch out for is false Christs. And this warning about being deceived by false Christs and false prophets is repeated three times in Matthew 24. So this must be pretty important, right? A hundred percent. It's very interesting that that is Jesus's first, his first words to the disciples is, take heed that no man deceive you. For those familiar with last day scripture, deception is just such a central theme throughout all the books of last day scripture. And I think we need to be discerning about deception in so many areas. Often we look at this and we might think, well, this is all religious deception. This is talking about religious people. And for sure, yeah, there are some religious people who are saying, well, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. That's a false prediction. There's various things that have to happen before he returns. Right. There are some religious people who are saying, all is well in society and the world. Keep just doing everything that society wants you to do. All is fine. And that would also be considered a false prophet because I believe that any true prophet is now, you know, setting off a little bit of a warning bell and saying that things are happening and things are changing. However, also, I don't think it just refers to religious people. I am Christ can mean I am the anointed one. So many people coming saying, I am the anointed one. And the world leaders and politicians 
might also fall into that category too. I am the anointed one who's coming to save you, they will say. The future is in our hands, and we've got the answers for the world. Interesting. If you know Second Thessalonians, it talks about that the coming of the Antichrist will be according to the working of Satan. And so when we study the working of Satan, we just see he, he just works through deceit. He always seeks to look as if he's helping us. Yes. So he, he wanted to help Adam and Eve. He said, you know, you're not getting a fair deal here. I can You can have something much better if you will just disobey God. I can give you a better deal. When he came to Jesus, he said, you're hungry. I can help you. You know, why don't you turn the stones into bread? His working is, is deception. But often it's, it's sort of flattery and deception where he says, I'm coming to help you. I can see you need a bit of help. Here I am to help you. That's right. And so whether it's the religious deception or whether it's a political deception or educational deception through sort of a evolutionary teaching and humanistic teaching, I think we see deception everywhere. And even in the last day scripture, there's a, a force called Babylon who is a sort of ruling structure around the world. And it seems that she is going to come into conflict with the Antichrist. Right. But it doesn't mean that Babylon is good. No, she also deceives the nations with her corruption and her materialism and her sorceries, it says in the Bible. There's just everywhere there's deception. Everywhere you look, there's deception. And that's why it's so important to really engage with God's Word now and really engage with the Holy Spirit, which will give us the gift of discernment in the world we live in now. Lighting your path through the end times. You're with Nightlight. All right, let's go on to Matthew chapter 24, verse 7. After warning against false prophets, Jesus says, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. What does he mean by birth pains? What does Jesus mean by birth pains? Well, I think we all understand birth pains, the experiences that a woman goes through when she starts her labor and begins the process of the delivery of the baby. Birth pains restrict you. When you have birth pains, you can't do much. You just basically have to sit still and lie down. That's right. Jesus is telling us that we're going to enter a difficult period before a glorious finale. So the glorious finale for a woman is the birth of the baby when the pain of labor, the struggles of labor are forgotten in the joy of a newborn baby. Uh, but Jesus is saying, you're going to have something of a birth process here. There's going to be a time of trouble before I return. But if you endure it, if you prepare for it, then you're going to be like a woman who's prepared for her birth. You're going to be geared up and ready you'll be more prepared than if you're expecting a very <laughs> sort of trouble-free, uh, easy ride to my return. No, there's going to be birth pains, and, and these are the beginning of the birth pains. That's right. And of course, there have been plenty of wars, famines, pestilences, earthquakes throughout history, but they have dramatically increased in recent times, wouldn't you say? Yeah, they have. We've had the First World War and the Second World War. We're seeing these rumors of wars, funnily enough, as well now. So there's wars and there's these rumors of wars. There's China, Taiwan, there's Russia and Ukraine. That's right. And there's limited resources. And yes, we do seem to be heading towards a time of great, what would say, geopolitical tension that is uh, we do see in the Bible as well. Yeah. Well, I know that the possibility of living through difficult times is daunting for all of us. We wonder how will we manage, will we have enough faith, will we be strong enough? 
Is there encouragement to be found in God's word that can comfort us and strengthen our faith? Yes, 100%. And I do think this is part of the the birth process and preparing for the birth process so that we do examine ourselves and then and then see well how are we going to manage in difficult times and that, and it, when i was asking myself that i came to some some really i thought some really encouraging sort of conclusions and and the first one is one level of faith one feels that one must have a, a great faith to make it through difficult times but looking at the word of god i realized that's actually not true the Bible says that God has given each of us a measure of faith. Yes. And then he says, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. And so it seems like it's not actually the size of your faith that's important. It's a question of whether you are exercising your own faith. And very often we look at our faith and say, I don't think I've got enough faith. And we don't realize the power of the faith that is that God has given us. And I do believe that the faith that the listeners are using today in their day-to-day lives is the same faith that God is going to use to bring them through difficult times. We just have to keep on exercising the faith that God has given us and not despise our faith as if it's not enough. It is enough because of the God who we trust. Absolutely. Simon, I really like the examples you gave in your book of Moses, David, Daniel, how God didn't ask them to do more than they were capable of and met them at the level of their faith. Maybe you could talk about that because I personally found it very encouraging. Yeah, so this was the other thing, and I often look at myself, and I'm I'm good at some things, but there's a whole lot of things that I'm not particularly good at, and I was a bit concerned, well, if if I'm rather useless in various practical ways, how am I going to make it? But I, I, I looked at the old Bible stories, and, and people like David and Moses and Daniel, and I realized that God actually met them at their ability. So Moses, before he led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he was in the wilderness for 40 years herding sheep. He was a shepherd in the wilderness. And when God called him to bring Israel out of Egypt, God asked him to just keep doing what he'd been doing for 40 years. Be my shepherd in the wilderness. And it was a role that Moses was familiar with. That's right. Obviously, it was a bigger flock with more challenges, but it was a role that he was familiar with. And likewise with David, he asked David to go and face Goliath and to use a sling. And we would think, well, don't give me a sling. But of course, it was exactly what David was comfortable with. It had been practicing on the hillside all of his youth. And so when the time came, God told him to do the thing that he was good at and that he was comfortable with and used it to bring a great victory. And so in all these things, he meets God's people at the level of their ability. And Daniel was great with his spiritual disciplines. That was his forte, his prayer life, his, his spiritual life. That was his forte. And that was what God said, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep praying as you've been praying and brought him through the lion's den. So I just find that very encouraging for those of us who are not, maybe not very able, that God will meet us at that level. Yes. And another thing I found very encouraging in what you wrote is how in the Exodus, Moses was the junior partner and it was God who did all the work and the heavy lifting. 
praise God. Jesus said that God is always working. He said, my father's always working. And I think we, we need to recognize that God is very capable of looking after us. And he is always working. He says he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Right. And that he will complete the work that he started in us. So this is very important. I think it's in Hebrews 3 and 4 where Paul talks about the importance of entering into rest because of God's work, that we can stop from our strivings and enter into the rest of God's work and allow him to do what he wants to do. I think Joseph Prince says, if we rest, then God will work. But if we work, then God will rest. Right. And so it's just coming into that place of faith. And that's why Paul says we should strive to enter a place of rest and trust that allows God to work and to do what he wants to do. And he does want to look after us, lead us, and provide for us in these times. Bringing you peace in the midst of the storm. You're listening to Nightlight. Simon, we've talked about how these signs of the times and birth pains that Jesus lists in Matthew 24 have greatly intensified in recent times, and especially the last couple of years. But are there any definite, clearly defined landmarks that Jesus said we should look out for that will signal his soon return? A hundred percent. And these are the ones that Christians just need to start to become familiar with and start learning how to join some of the biblical dots together. In Matthew twenty-four fifteen, Jesus describes the most important landmark before his return, which is the setting up of an abomination of desolation. He describes it in the temple. He describes it and he tells us that we would find out more about this, this landmark event by going to the book of Daniel. It's something that's set up in the temple. When we go to Daniel 9 and Daniel 11, it's also something that is set up in the temple in the times before Jesus returns. That's right. And so then we're we're open and we're thinking, well, what could that possibly be, Lord? Is there anything else in scripture that that might refer to? And if we're fortunate enough to be familiar with 2 Thessalonians 2, we'll see that Paul says that Jesus cannot come back until this man of sin is revealed who sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And this man, Paul says, will be consumed by the breath of Jesus's mouth and destroyed by the brightness of his coming. So this is this final world leader who will be destroyed by Jesus's coming. Right. And he's going to sit in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So this is this final evil that is coming in the world before Jesus returns. And it's a, as usual, evil tests God's people and tests the people of the world to give them a choice about whether to follow and obey the evil or whether to resist and, and not obey it. Of course, people are familiar in Revelation 13, it talks about this image of the beast. That's right. Which will both speak and cause as many as would not worship it to be killed. So we join these. These, are, these appear to be talking about the same event, something in the temple, in Second Thessalonians, in Matthew 24 and in Daniel, and this image of this final world leader that appears to be this abomination of desolation. That doesn't seem to be quite here yet because we don't even have a temple yet. There's uh, initiatives to rebuild the Jewish temple. There are. In Daniel 9, for those who are familiar, the abomination of desolation is set up three and a half years into a seven-year covenant that the Antichrist confirms with many. So that is probably the first landmark we're looking at, is this some sort of 
peace agreement, a covenant signed up with many countries. Daniel also calls it a holy covenant, so it may have a religious connotation, kind of bringing Muslims, Christians, Jews together, providing this sort of new world religion of some description. And Jesus says that that will cause a time of trouble. It'll be a time of great trouble and that he will return immediately after the time of that trouble, which, according to Daniel 9, appears to be a second period of three and a half years until Christ returns. So it's quite clear in Matthew 24, the landmark schedule, the sort of schedule on our route to Jesus's return is this event, the abomination of desolation being set up and followed by a time of great trouble. Simon, I know that some folks listening to this right now will be thinking, hey, wait a minute, I was taught that I wouldn't be here during the times of the Antichrist and the tribulation. There are many Christians counting on being raptured out of this world before the tribulation begins. This is a very hot topic that was covered in detail by Joseph Kandel in an earlier podcast, When is the Rapture? But could you briefly state your position on this? I believe that for all of us Christians, that when we turn to the words of Jesus, we trust in the words of Jesus. We draw on the words of Jesus for our life. Amen. When he says, I am the good shepherd, we believe it and receive it. When he says, I give unto you eternal life and you shall never perish, we believe and we receive it. And I think for the words in Matthew 24, we need to have the same trust, the same drawing power. And he doesn't talk about any rapture of the church before the tribulation. In fact, he tells the disciples, you are going to go through this time. That's right. And there's other clear verses like in Revelation 7, where he talks about this multitude that no man can number who are coming out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's right. I believe this is God's great finale. So any great story has a great finale. And normally the stars and the heroes of the film, they go through the finale. That's right. They have to participate in the finale. And I do believe it's a mistake to believe that the church is going to be a spectator during the last days. I'm afraid that God is going to call his people to participate in this great last drama of the last days so that he can be glorified so that the children of god can be manifested to the world and and it's a privilege in a way to be part of this like jesus said to the disciples you know many people would have wanted to see this time that you are seeing and i believe also now if we are here I believe that God wants us to be here, we're meant to be here, and there's a certain level of anticipation for what God is going to do during these times for his people. Simon, I know there's some theologians and Bible scholars that argue that we've already passed the landmarks in Matthew 24. They say that the abomination of desolation and the tribulation have already taken place and that the Antichrist has come and gone. Is there any way that that could be true? It's quite appealing for some people to look at world events that have happened and, and say, oh, this looks a little bit like what the scripture has says. But if we if we treat the word of God as it is, as it is perfect, the word of God, it's not faulty, then I, I think we can't 
resort to that view. For instance, in Second Thessalonians 2, it, it describes this final world leader, the Antichrist, who has to come before Jesus returns. And it says that he will be destroyed by the breath of Jesus' coming or the brightness of his coming and consumed with the breath of his mouth, I think it is. Right. And so this Antichrist figure is tied very clearly into Jesus' return. We've had prototypes of the Antichrist. They had Nero in the Roman Empire. We've had Stalin and Hitler. And we've seen prototypes of these people. But there's going to be one final last edition world leader that will be in power at Jesus' return, who he will destroy. Yes. And so there have been wars, there have been times of trouble. Of course, there was the terrible time when Jerusalem was burnt by the Romans and the, the temple was taken down. Right. However, this is going to be a global time of tribulation. It's not going to be isolated. It says in Revelations that the Antichrist, the beast, will be given power over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. And this is why, as Christians, we have to to recognize that we're not going to be spectators, to just spectators to this, that it is going to touch us and that we have to prepare and pray so God can prepare us more like. God wants to prepare his church for this time. And if we, if we pray, then he will. It's never completely dark when you're listening to Nightlight. Well, I wish we had time to cover more points from this excellent book, Let's Look Forward, but we can save those for another show. In the time that we have left, what else do you feel is important to share? Along the lines of the birth pains, we do need to prepare. We are going to participate in these events. In Matthew 24, 15 and 16, Jesus told the disciples they would have to flee from Jerusalem into Judea. In other words, they wouldn't be able to stay exactly where they were. They would have to adapt to the circumstances. And because of the nature of these events, I think everybody needs to be praying and preparing for a plan B. We've had our plan A of participation in society, but there may come a time when we have a, a plan B where we have to follow God out of Egypt of our current day world and, and uh, join together with other Christians. So I would just advise people to read the passage in Matthew carefully and pray and prepare as the woman does for her birth we need to prepare for these last days and we know also don't we that this time of tribulation is just for three and a half years scripture is very definite about that absolutely i like to see it like the bell on a on a on a, one of these long races where they ring a bell on the last lap and the athletes know they've only got one lap to go and so I believe once the abomination of desolation is set up, it's like a bell ringing. And we'll know we've got a limited amount of time to make it through. And so we'll rejoice in that, that we're sort of running the race. Then the race has a, has a definite end time for us. Yes, well, let's close with the happy ending, the grand finale that's going to make it all worthwhile. Tell us about that. Well, we, we have this wonderful event, is the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. I mean, it's sort of described, I guess, slightly in John 14, where Jesus says, in my house are many mansions. I am preparing something for you there. I'm going to come back and bring you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. So we are going to leave this world and we're going to go with Jesus to these heavenly mansions that he's prepared for us. And he speaks in Revelations about a marriage supper of the Lamb. And Jesus says in Luke, for those who are watching when he comes, he himself will gird himself and serve them while they recline. Wonderful Jesus will serve his church. 
that has come through tribulation. And uh, you can't imagine anything more beautiful, more humbling, more wonderful than that. Amen. Simon, thanks for all you shared. We look forward to you coming back very soon. Thank you very much, Chris. And if you search for Let's Look Forward by Simon Bennett, you'll easily find it on Amazon, available either as a paperback or on Kindle. And I highly recommend it. I'll sign out here. And until next time, may God bless and keep you close to him. Bye for now.